welcome to Doing the Work, Frontline Stories of Social Change, where we bring you stories of real people working to address real issues. I am your host, Shimon Cohen. In this episode, I talk with Daniela Levine Cava, who is a Miami-Dade County Commissioner serving District 8 in Miami, Florida. We discuss Daniela's current work as a county commissioner, her social work background, including the creation of the Human Services Coalition, now Catalyst Miami, and her transition to political office. Daniela shares how her social work background helped her campaign and how she implements social work values and principles in her political work. She encourages people, especially social workers, to grow their civic muscle on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, Daniela. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. So excited to have you here. And just to start out, could you let people know what you're currently doing? Absolutely. Thrilled to be with you, Shimon. Thank you very much. Well, I'm a county commissioner in Miami-Dade County. I serve District 8, which is a very large district that goes from Palmetto Bay down to Homestead and across Redland and parts of Kendall. It's a great job. I'm very proud. I was just recently reelected to serve a second and final four-year term because of term limits. Congratulations. Thank you. So, you know, one of the things that might be a little different having you on as a guest is with, you know, mo- the, the, the idea with the podcast is people who are doing work, social change work on the front lines. And you're someone, you know, we'll get into as we talk at who you are a social worker. And a lot of my guests are social workers. A lot of the listeners are social workers, not only, but, you know, um, that's probably the majority. And so there are more and more social workers running for political office. And so I thought it would be just great to have you on here to kind of talk about your journey from, you know, social worker. And I know you have a law background as well, creating Catalyst Miami and then your transition. So wherever you kind of want to start with all of that, I'm game. (laughs) Great. Well, for me, it really started when I was a little girl, and uh, I never wanted to be left out of any important conversation, especially one that had to do with me. There's a great phrase in the disability rights movement, nothing about me without me. And so much of what passes for social work, unfortunately, not really social work, because social workers know better, but what the world calls social work is just telling people what to do. You know, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. This is what's good for you. No, don't do this, do that. Well, we all know that that really doesn't work (laughs) to affect individual change. It's really about uh, what people internally are prepared to do. So here's a joke that proves the point. How many social workers does it take to change a light bulb? You tell me. It doesn't matter. The light bulb has to really want to change. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) So that's my philosophy. And I was so delighted uh, to discover that social work values are right in keeping with that. So I went to college and uh, started getting involved in uh, political change. I was student council president at Yale University. Uh, My first big rally that I led was to get students access to the college budget was quite exciting. I had a bullhorn. I was out in the main plaza in front of the president's office, and I was leading a rally that the students had a right to know how was our money being spent. Before that, I had been involved in the first Earth Day and anti-Vietnam War protests. So I was a very active 
in that sense. But this was my first time really exercising uh, my personal leadership in that way. At Yale, I studied psychology, particularly children's uh, child psychology. Uh, but then I went on to get master's in social work and my law degree. Uh, and I thought that these are complementary skill sets that will help me be a more powerful agent for change. I think it's a great story. And, you know, I knew there was a story here. I'm sure they really loved you with that bullhorn out in the, you know, <laughs> the common area. So, you know, so you, you get your degree and, and then, you know, I'm sure you did various work, but tell us a little bit about Catalyst Miami and how that got started. And I think that will kind of then bring us to the transition to political office. Yeah, right. Well, I had been working in Miami, where I moved um, 35 years ago, uh, at Legal Services of Greater Miami. First, I was running the Guardian Ad Litem program. I was uh, expanding it to more lawyers involved in representing children in the court system with child abuse and neglect cases. But then I, I started an organization, Catalyst Miami, based on my experience also with legal services, representing people trying to get public benefits, public support. So these were people financially struggling, uh, you know, as, as over half the people in Miami-Dade do. And many of them were entitled to receive certain public benefits, whether it be food stamps or uh, Medicaid or uh, for their children, kid care insurance, uh, whatever it was. And they were being wrongfully denied or they didn't know about it. And since the employers were not providing these services, these were critical supplemental benefits. So then welfare reform happened and even fewer people were getting them. So I organized a new organization to fight for the rights of people to get the help they needed to get back on their feet, uh, to move forward uh, post-welfare reform. And that was Human Services Coalition at the time and became Catalyst Miami. So now Catalyst does a range of things. And this was always in the DNA. It's about helping people build more prosperous futures, but also helping them to become more leaderful in their own communities and bringing others together across the community to work collaboratively for system change. I think that's the aspect of Catalyst that really drew me to it when I first learned about it was that it wasn't, it's not just a social service agency. It's got the part about empowerment and leadership that I think it's back to what you were saying in the beginning about instead of telling people what to do or how they should do things, it really supports self-determination on a, on a whole other level. Yeah. Now, people have to deal with their basic needs. So if you're hungry, if you're homeless, clearly you have to deal with those things. But a lot of people think, oh, until you're secure, you can't be part of social change. And I don't believe that. I think that taking part in your own personal empowerment helps you to be a stronger agent for broader social change as well. So when we're helping people to uh, stabilize financially, we're also letting them know what are the rules that are affecting them. And it's their experiences that can really inform policy and make things better for themselves and for others. Absolutely. You know, people who are on the receiving end or feeling the impact of these policies are really experts in their own situation and their voice, you know, carry should carry lots of weight to lawmakers. Absolutely. And when uh, before the Human Services Coalition was started, I I chaired a committee of the League of Women Voters on social policy. We convened a meeting called the Changing Face of Human Services, 
and that led to the founding of the Human Services Coalition. It was all about these changes were happening and nobody was asking the people affected what it was that they needed to get their lives on track. Nobody was turning to them and they, of course, are the experts in how do they deal with the struggles of uh, poverty, of lack of access to healthcare, jobs, etc. So that was really the fundamental reason the organization was started, to give voice to these people and their lived expertise. And then what led to the transition to political office for you? (laughs) Well, I, you know, in our lives, I think we have to be always open to possibilities. I had founded Human Services Coalition. It was never, uh, we didn't have an endowment. It wasn't long range financially secure. And I felt it was an important avenue for social change. And I was worried that it wouldn't survive if I left it because I was the main fundraiser. But things had become more stable. We had been recognized nationally. We had become trainer of trainers and, and things were really progressing. And then I was approached about running for office. Uh, for a a role. Basically, the person who was in that seat didn't support workers, didn't support the environment, didn't support people of different identities, immigrants. So it was really important that someone representing the district come into play. And I was recruited and I said, yes, it's a good time for me. The organization is stable and I'm ready to take the leap and do something that will have a bigger impact. And there you go. And how do you feel about the impact that you're able to have, you know, especially if you compare the two, you know, and maybe there really isn't a, maybe the difference is only in the, in the name, because maybe some of the work you were doing before is similar to what you're doing now. Yes. But how do you, how do you feel about the impact you're able to have in this political office? Yeah. Well, it's, it's a great question. Of course, I think about it all the time. You know, the fact is that Catalyst is still having the impact that it had. So I feel like I get my cake and eat it too. So (laughs) double the (laughs) impact out there doing amazing things has moved forward with all kinds of innovative approaches to building wealth, not just income, wealth and engagement of leadership in the community. So I could not be more proud of having birthed that organization. And now that I'm inside uh, an elected position, I know that I can only win bigger things when the community is behind me. So catalyst, I need to bring up new leaders. And I need the other organizations that have emerged stronger and stronger that speak to the needs of the environment, to the needs of working people, to the the needs of immigrants, etc. All of those people are now my partners in making change within elected office, within government. So we've been able to do quite a bit, uh, yet I'm only one of 13 commissioners. So having an impact on countywide policy requires me to find seven other votes. I can't do those changes on my own, but I continue to do service work as well, just like I have always done, because that's what keeps us in touch with what people really need in in communities and neighborhoods. And also I've put into place some programs to carry on some of the things I started at Catalyst. So we do have a nonprofit academy. We've supported hundreds of nonprofits to become more stable in the district, also a small business academy and a business accelerator. And we've created an initiative in South Dade called South Dade More to Explore, developing economic development plans so we can hire more people, get them good jobs, and also let them work closer to home because traffic is the number one complaint of most of my constituents. 
And uh, to the extent that I can fix the transit system, I'm trying hard and we've made some improvements, but also we want to try to keep people out of their cars and off the roadways as much as possible so they can have better quality of life and more time to smell the roses and be with their families. When you create these initiatives, what kind of goes into that process? Like just for someone listening who is thinking about making this type of transition and this is what they want to do. Mm -hmm. That's a great question. You know, of course, I've been working on these things, as you've said, for many years. So these are not fresh ideas. They're really ones that I've carried forward. And now I have an opportunity because I have a budget. I have an amazing staff that can implement these ideas. You know, I don't have to go out and raise money to support their salaries because the public is paying their taxes to support the kind of government service that that we provide. So I have tremendous freedom in, in that to experiment and to also listen to my constituents because I am a nonprofit um, uh, maven. I've been in the nonprofit world for a long time. Nonprofits look to me for support and I'm able to say, look, let's not just give you some money. Let's give you some skills. Let's give you some networks. Let's give you some leadership uh, so that you can really grow and build a stronger uh, fabric for the social service system. I think it's great. I mean, it's to have, you know, kind of like a nonprofit champion in political office is got to just be such a support that is lacking often in government on all levels, uh, really, not just local government. Yeah, it's it, many of the commissioners are very attached to organizations in their communities. I think they're all really concerned about the needs of residents and they are supportive. But uh, really, you know, uh, imitation is the highest form of flattery. And one of my colleagues started his own nonprofit academy. <laughs> uh, I, I, and, and others do have business incubators or accelerators. So I wasn't the first, but mine is different because it really focuses on marketing and the partnerships of the businesses to, to get ahead. Networks, power of networks. Right. So you mentioned that, you know, the number one issue that gets brought to your attention is traffic. And um, what about, you know, what's kind of like, is there such a thing as a typical day for you that you could share what a typical day might be like as a county commissioner in Miami-Dade? Yeah. yeah. Well, I roughly thought to say that about a third of my time is spent on legislation. So I sit on three committees. There's the full board meeting. I sit on the transportation board. We use zoning cases and land use cases, and we have to prepare for all of those. And those are all things that I vote on and things that affect people's lives uh, directly. And I myself have passed several hundred pieces of legislation. So they range uh, from all kinds of environmental issues to dealing with government accountability, transparency, public safety, you know, many, many, many things. So a good, probably maybe as much as half of my time is dedicated to that, but I have great staff working on it. Then another big part of my day is involved in the community. So I'm attending chamber meetings and community events of all sorts with all different kinds of groups. I'm going to the three cities that are in my district. I'm interfacing with the mayors and the council people there. Uh, we may be meeting about a park or about traffic <laughs> in that area many, many ways that I'm involved in directly in the community as well as around community problems. So there was speeding on the canals. How are we going to resolve the speeding and erosion of the canal banks? Or there was um, contamination in a park from uh, previous years, years back when there was 
chemicals that were put down there for pest eradication. So, you know, I have to deal with those issues at a community level and bring in the the partners in the county that can solve those. And then another big portion are the special programs that I've created. So, you know, some of it I'm responsive, some of it I'm creative and proactive. And all in all, it's extremely exciting. It's just a great job. Of course, I do work uh, many, many hours. It's a seven day a week job and I do work most evenings, but it's very rewarding, very wonderful to be able to make a difference in people's lives. What would be advice for social workers who are interested in taking this next step and going into political office? Because there's definitely seems to be a real push lately for, and you know, NASW has supported a number of social workers running for office. So there really is this push. There, including you, there you go. I've been endorsed both campaigns by the NASW and even with a check. So that's great. It's really wonderful to have an ASW's political arm engaged. Uh, Well, I would say, first of all, that some people get into social work because they want to focus on individual change. And I can really appreciate that. But even as you're working with individuals, hopefully you're thinking about ways that they become more powerful in their own lives, but then also how they move that into the community, into the civic arena. And so for individual practitioners, there are always issues have to do with regulation of the profession or issues that affect their clients. So, you know, maybe it's insurance. What is the access to mental health services through insurance policies? You know, the experts are the people that are working in that system. So we need to hear social workers' voice. And then, of course, social workers through their own organizations, the NASW or other organizations, that's where collectively they can have a voice. Now, all of that to say, I call that growing your civic muscle. Because most people don't get that day in school where you're taught, oh, one day you could run for office, you could be an elected official. You know, we're barely taught anything about voting or the or even what does government do. So I have a very simple formula. I tell people the daily, the weekly, and the monthly dose. Daily, keep up with the news. That means what is happening in your local community. You know, maybe you're not subscribing to the paper anymore, but read it online. Don't trust Uh, just biased sources. Go to unbiased sources of news, local, state, national, international. And then that's daily. Weekly, get out into the community. Participate in a volunteer service day or go to a, a rally. Do something that informs you what is actually happening in the community. And then at least monthly speak up, you know, call me and say, I'm concerned about this problem or I, I, or or write a letter to the editor, whatever it is, something that concerns you. And pretty soon you're going to get that bug. You're going to want to do more. You're going to want to step up and be the real decision maker. Why not? We need social workers in office because they have love in their hearts. They have a compassion for people's everyday uh, conditions. And they can really inform decision decisions. And also, they can be better team players. So, you know, unfortunately, politics is not a collaborative sport a lot of the time. But social workers really know how to help get along to get to common cause. I think that's really helpful, the way you just broke that down. And even if someone doesn't go into office, those are just really, that's, those are some really important, the daily, the weekly, the monthly, you know, Uh, kind of advice to follow. You know, one thing that I think people see as a barrier to running for political office is the the funding necessary uh, to run a campaign. And I was wondering if 
maybe you could speak to that. Yes, for sure. Some people don't like asking for money. I get that. Now, I had been asking people for money for many years for my nonprofit, for other causes. So I, I had an easier time. And frankly, asking people to give money to me for my campaign was easier even than asking for a social cause because people all care about different things. You know, they might not want to give to Catalyst. They might prefer to give to the YMCA or whatever is the cause. But in my case, investing in me was investing in their future. You know, I viewed it as essential. If you want somebody with my perspective to be there making decisions for you and interrelating to you uh, from office, you need to get me elected. And you know what? That costs money. So I really didn't have any problem asking. I think if it's like if you're a social worker and you do not feel confident that you are going to make a difference in an elected role, it is going to be hard to ask for money. You have to be clear that this is something where you are the person needs to be in office and therefore, you know, your friends, your relatives, your neighbors, your coworkers, and then everybody else needs to step up and give you money to make it happen. Did you literally go door to door? I mean, like, did you get out when you were campaigning and knock on doors and, and Thousands. talk? Just, what was that like? Great. It was the best. I'll tell you, social work training was the best for that job because I uh, really wasn't always the best listener. You know, I, uh, from law, you sort of make your arguments, you make your case. Social work, you're supposed to be able to listen and reflect. Uh, but I wasn't always so good with my clinical skills. And um, I also found it hard to sometimes focus. I had a lot of different projects. So how do I stay focused? When you go door to door, it's about them. It's not about you. <laughs> you know, if you cannot just be present to that person and make sure that you're responding, they pick it up in an instant. There's no lying at the door. So I had a very humbling great educational experience going door to door, truly being focused, truly listening to people. And I'm sure that made the difference because defeating an incumbent, somebody who'd been in office, uh, was very unusual. Uh, like two people in 20 years have unseated a sitting commissioner. And wow. It was my uh, hard work door to door as well as asking for money. <laughs> There's two things. Uh, and my background, of course, but many things. But Social workers, step up. I'm here to mentor you. <laughs> we need you. I love it. I love it. What's the most challenging part of this position for you or this work, the challenge, most challenging yeah. part of this work? Yeah, yeah. Well, I wish I had a magic wand. You know, there's so many issues that people have and they're so impatient sometimes that things don't get solved overnight. And people have such distrust of government. So it's a combination of that it is hard to make change sometimes, and one has to be patient and uh, formulate a strategy and build alliances and really have a long-range plan. Uh, and the fact that people are very impatient because they don't trust government. And so, you know, either government solves the problem immediately or they dismiss it, oh, it's the same old corrupt, uh, non-responsive government. So, so people don't really feel connected in a positive way. So that's been the biggest challenge to try to turn that around and help people see that, at least for me, I'm working super hard to be responsive, to be accountable, and to do my very best to make their lives better. That's great. I know, you, I know we talked about traffic and then we talked about 
you know, kind of like what a typical day, even though there is no typical day might look like for you. I wanted to also get back to, um, you know, what are the main issues that your constituents bring to you? Mm -hmm. Well, again, people do talk about traffic a lot, (laughs) but in addition to that, all kinds of, you know, really it is uh, potholes, (laughs) you know, the streets that are in bad repair or the county employee that was, uh, didn't do, go all the way to finish a job and how to get response. And we also, we're, we're like social workers too in my office. And I, I do employ two MSWs in my office. Well, me, I'm the third, actually four. There are four people on my staff that have masters in social work. And we are helping people navigate all kinds of systems every day from affordable housing to healthcare uh, to finding jobs. So we're dealing with all of those issues. Now, this is not what people bring me, but what I am obsessed with is the future of our water. Mm-hmm. Not only sea level rise and climate change generally, but the fact that our fresh water supply comes through the Everglades and all the problems with the algae of going east and west below Lake Okeechobee, that is all water that really should be coming south, filtering through the natural system of the Everglades and recharging our aquifer, which is underground and is our source of drinking water. And I am quite involved in making sure that that water comes south, that it's clean, that we don't pollute it, that we don't allow salt to get into it. And so while people, most people are not thinking about this, it is a very real threat to our future. And I spend a good bit of my time on water and water quality uh, issues. Um, So I also am involved with animals, pets. You know, what are we doing for our, our feral cats? How are we making sure to stem the tide of rabies, how to make sure that people adopt pets, how to make sure that our parks are in good repair so that our children and our, well, all ages can enjoy the parks uh, and protecting our natural environment in many, many ways. You've really got to become an expert in so many different areas to do what you're doing. Yes, it's really a great learning opportunity. I feel like I've gotten my PhD by now in quite a few (laughs) topics. (laughs) We yeah. didn't even talk about water and sewer. Just imagine wastewater, all of that. Very, very big topic. So just as we're wrapping up, I wanted to give you the opportunity to speak about, you know, whatever you want to put out there to the listeners. Thank you so much for this really thoughtful interview. You've made me think about a few important topics myself. And uh, the question of balance, you might want to know and others might want to know with the constant pressure being in this job, what is the balance? Well, of course, your family, your friends are critical. And to me, I have a new grandbaby. It's my first. Uh, That certainly gives me joy whenever I think about her and my wonderful uh, daughter, uh, who is such a great mom, and my son, too, my husband. All of those supports are so critical. But I also spend a lot of time in nature. Uh, So when I'm canoeing in the Everglades or rafting on a river, I'm thinking about uh, how we protect this beauty and and this these assets. And ultimately, when I feel afraid or when I feel unsure, I try to uh, remember that I am an instrument for service for good. And I try to discern what is the path that will have the most good for people and planet. So I hope that will help others when they're thinking about their future choices and really our choices every single day. That's true for all of us. Thank you so much for 
taking the time to come on here to share all of this expertise, the wisdom that you have. And, you know, thank you for doing the work in the community. Thank you so much. It really gives me courage to talk to you. And I appreciate you very much. Thank you, Shimon. Thank you for listening to Doing the Work, Frontline Stories of Social Change. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please follow on Twitter and leave positive reviews on iTunes. If you're interested in being a guest or know someone who's doing great work, please get in touch. And thank you for doing real work to make this world a better place. Thank you.